You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. Well, good day to you, our lovely bride chiller and groom chiller friends. It's Alicia here. This is the Bride Chiller Wedding Planning Podcast, where I and my friends uh, try and help you solve wedding planning conundrums, try and keep you chill, and uh, just get shit done. Now, I realize uh, that we are in times, well, if you're listening to this when this goes out, we are in times that are pretty weird, pretty harrowing a little bit fucking scary and uh, we're socially isolating. So weddings are not happening at the moment, but we are very hopeful that weddings will be coming back We'll be able to celebrate with our loved ones and family and friends. So I've decided to continue on with Bride Chiller, but just a little caveat to say I'm producing these episodes because we're all probably at home going a bit nanas and uh, thinking maybe in the future we would like to continue planning our wedding. So I don't want people to think that I'm just producing normal wedding planning content because it's something fun to do, although it is, and I think we should still do that, but also being mindful that a lot of shit is going down in the world and I'm thinking about everyone everywhere. Today, I want to welcome back one of my lovely friends, Leah Weinberg, who is a planner. She is a former attorney. She is a good mate of mine, and she is from Colourpop Events. You might have heard her a couple of weeks ago on a very special episode that we produced all about the coronavirus and how we can help you cancel and postpone weddings. And um, thank you so much for coming back on the show, Leah, and helping me answer some Q&A on this day. Of course. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's my pleasure and it's just nice to talk to you. Uh, I don't get to be in your person, but I'm also delighted that we can be in person via the interwebs, which is what everyone's doing. Exactly. Lots of virtual happy hours going on for sure. Hell yeah. You had one the other night with some wedding planning friends. And what was it like? Just you? Did you all get your cocktails? What happened? We all had cocktails. Uh, there's actually a new app called House Party. Um, I don't know how new it is, but yeah. so I may sound I may sound like an old person talking about it because I just found it. <laughs> uh, but it's a it's an app, so everybody can kind of log in from their phones, and you can play group games together. So um, a handful of us wedding pros had cocktails, and we played Heads Up, Pictionary, and Trivia, and a good time was had by all. I must say. I love that. And I also, um, a friend of mine was like, do you want to watch Netflix with me? And there's Netflix party as well, which you can basically sync yes. up your Netflix account and um, watch a movie together. And I thought that was really sweet. It's a nice idea. And write bitchy comments next to the, um, in the chat, which is what we do when we watch shows. So yeah, yes, love it. I would highly recommend, uh, yeah, highly recommend doing the Netflix thing with uh, Love is Blind if you haven't hopped on that oh. bandwagon yet. I mean, this is the time when you're like, you know, in normal times, that's what we're calling it in this household, in normal times, um, you know, I mean, I love trash. I will watch. Everyone knows I love The Real Housewives and, uh, gosh, just hanging for The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to come back this month. But um, I feel like this time is where we can really just appreciate that sort of show and just switch off and just enjoy ourselves. So this is the time. If you've never committed time to some reality, this is the time. And also there are 40 past seasons of Survivor that you can watch, which is something I highly recommend. <laughs> I highly recommend as well. Ooh, remind me, well, after this is done and you can edit this part out, we have to talk about last week's episode. No, I'm not editing this out, but we're not going to talk about it, but I, we, are, we will talk about it, but I'm just going to say, talk about Leah it. and I are both 
complete survivor nuts. And the previous episode, I know what you're talking about. I mm-hmm. screamed at the television. Same. I did. I screamed too. <laughs> oh. So good. Right. Today is q and I'm going to play some voice messages. Leah is going to use her expertise and uh, skills to help answer the questions. And hopefully we can provide some solace and solutions, and if not, just something entertaining to listen to. So who, let's just see who our first uh, person is. Hi, Alicia. I just got engaged. Yay. And my fiance and I are planning a smallish wedding, probably 70 or so people in the Bay Area of California. Neither of us really wants a bridal party, although our guests will be involved in various ways throughout the ceremony, reading the seven blessings, acting as witnesses for the ketubah signing, standing under the chuppah with us. We don't have a huge budget and we'll probably do some kind of self-catering by just ordering a bunch of food to be dropped off by our favorite restaurant. My question is, can I ask friends to be designated setup and breakdown volunteers, probably for a total of two to three hours of work, even if they aren't a traditional bridal party? If so, can you suggest a script to use to ask? Or should I just bite the bullet and hire some kind of staffing instead of asking guests to do this? Thank you, Alicia. Okay, so Portia is asking a very common question, Leah, and common as in I think a lot of people have this sort of thought about what can you do to get your friends to help you out when it comes to setting up and running odd jobs and doing things. Now, this is I think a lot of people consider this. What, What do you think about asking friends and family to jump in and help you set up or do these sort of odd jobs? It was interesting the way that Portia phrased the question because her question was, can she ask her friends to help her out with this? And obviously the answer is yes, you can. But I think the better question is, should you? So I, Mm. this may not be a popular opinion, but in my experience, you, you can ask your friends most likely they will be happy to, well, they'll say they'll be happy to help you out. Um, But secretly, they're not going to be so happy about helping you out. And I actually know this. um, I've seen it firsthand. So any of the weddings that I've ever done where family members or friends were helping with some kind of portion of the setup, it always ended in arguments which was really awkward to see because there's basically people fighting and then three hours later they have to put on a happy face because it's wedding time. And then I have Mm -hmm. also talked to multiple friends who have had to pitch in at weddings and while they gladly stepped in and helped out, they were not particularly happy about having done so. So I would Mm. think long and hard, Portia, about whether you really want to have your friends do it. Like I said, I think they'll probably agree to help you out, but they're probably not going to be super happy about it. But that being said, I do think it's going to be worth paying money to hire some staff. You can probably do it pretty inexpensively. And I also think there are some things that are going to be happening outside, like during the wedding itself, outside of setup and breakdown that you're going to want to have some staff for. So in terms of 
busing dirty dishes and glasses during like cocktail hour and dinner. That way all that stuff is not being left out and you're not relying on guests to throw away or place, you know, dirty dishes somewhere. So having staff that can help bus and clean and just keep things tidy and organized while the wedding itself is happening is going to be a really great investment. When I talk to my clients about staffing, that's the one area I'm like, even if you're doing a more DIY wedding or if you're on a budget, staff is definitely not where you want to um, try to save money. Like it's definitely better to have more people, more hands on deck than you need because it's going to reflect in a lot of small but still noticeable ways on the wedding day. And do you think as well, I totally agree, and people you know, are there to celebrate and enjoy, and of course people are going to be very helpful if asked, but if, if you do end up sort of getting a couple of friends to help you set up tables or whatever, my advice is always just to really be clear with communication as to what you're asking them to do and making it really clear with with timing and how, how you get it you know, sorted without if they got you know if they want to run away and get dressed and do all that sort of stuff you don't want them hanging around and feeling feeling panicked because they're not quite sure of what they're supposed to be doing on the day that can get really tricky as well absolutely yeah i would say yeah so if you do decide to have some friends pitch in definitely be very specific about what you want to have them do i would honestly create some kind of document that they can print out and use as a reference on the day or like a checklist so that they make sure they're getting everything done. And then as Alicia mentioned, be specific about the timing. So make sure you're giving them enough time to help out, but then also go back to wherever they're getting ready to get cleaned up um, and get dressed and all that stuff. Portia, we wish you all the best. And um, yeah, I think, I, I think you know, invest in things that are worthy of your time and money. And that is making sure things run smoothly and stuff gets cleaned up and people are there to be, you know, managing your day, which is, as, as Leah said, it, it is an investment and you don't have to worry about it. And then your friends can have a good time as well. Thank you for your question, Portia. Now we move on to Sabrina. Hi, Alicia. Um, my name is Sabrina. Uh, my fiance and I are um, about a year into our engagement, a little over a year. Uh, we have our date and we have been planning quite a bit. Um, we have a lot of the planning done. Um, we just have to kind of take care of the small details such as um, the seating chart, which is something that we both feel like would help our guests feel more organized and comfortable. Um, but also I'm struggling with trying to decide how to seat everyone without feeling like we're separating our families. Um, neither of our families have really had like a big outing where everyone's met everyone. Um, and I feel like if there's any time for this opportunity, it's our wedding. Um, and he feels pretty strongly about, you know, sitting people with people that they're comfortable with, but also I want, I mean, I, I want everyone to feel comfortable, but I would also like for our families to mix in a bit, um, just to, I mean, just to show that, show what this wedding is about, about our families combining. Um, so if you have any advice, be greatly appreciated to help us work through this. Thank you. 
So Sabrina, great question. I definitely agree with you that doing the seating chart is really helpful for your guests. It's definitely going to make them feel more comfortable just to know that they have an assigned seat, that they have a designated quote unquote home for the duration of the wedding that they can keep coming back to. And in terms of having family that doesn't necessarily know each other kind of meet and intermix during the wedding via these dinnertime seating assignments... I do tend to agree with your fiance in terms of assigning people seats so that they're sitting next to people that they already know. That's going to be a huge comfort to them and make their evening a lot more enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely understand your intuition of wanting to put people together that don't know each other so that you can sort of like force them to interact. But I'm not necessarily sure that the wedding reception is the best place to do that. If you did one option as kind of a compromise for both of you is if there's a way to have larger tables so that they can fit more people so that you can have a mix of seating guests with people that they do know and then people that you also want to introduce them to. I think that's a good solution that can be like a middle ground for both of you. If that's not possible, then I would say, you know, stick with seating people with who they know and find other opportunities to have them interact. So whether that's if you're having a rehearsal dinner the night before or maybe a welcome party or welcome drinks, or maybe it's a situation where you're not necessarily planning either of those, but you could do something small just with family in an attempt to get them to chat and get to know each other. I think that's going to be a better situation for them to sort of mingle and interact and talk than seating them next to each other at the wedding. Because on that day, everybody just kind of wants to have fun. They want to be comfortable. You know, I've heard I this is sort of similar to the idea where guests will take their single friends and put them all together in the hopes that to play matchmaker. <laughs> but then the single friend is not sitting with anybody that they know and they don't necessarily enjoy themselves. So um, give people give people some comfort and let them sit with who they know. Yeah, the single friends are going to find the other singles. Don't worry. They're on their scoping it out. If they're there to hook up or at least not even hook up, they're not going to be hooking up. Maybe they are hooking up. I'm no judging. But if they're going to do that, they're going to find their people by the end of the night. And um, I agree with you. I've been that single person with the single people group. I know it's really cliche, but you're like, I just want to be over there with my people. (laughs) Yeah, and I think family's the same way. They want to sit with who they're comfortable with, who they know, who they can strike up a conversation with. It is definitely important to make sure everybody's, you know, mixing and mingling and chatting and getting to know one another, but seating strangers together at the dinner table, I don't think is the best way to achieve that. I totally agree. I totally agree. Listen, Sabrina, listen to Leah. She knows what she's talking about. Thank you very much, Sabrina, for your lovely voice message and for listening to the show. We have Kristen up next. I'm calling from Tennessee. I'm calling about bridesmaids gifts. So I know the typical gifts that people are giving these days, and I'm considering giving my bridesmaids earrings, bracelets, and maybe a button-up or something like that um, or some sort of cosmetic bag. My question is, how do I know how much to spend on them and how much to give them? You know, I know they've had to pay a lot to be in my wedding and sacrifice a lot. And so I want to give them a gift that shows them I'm thankful. But also, I have seven bridesmaids. So 
I'm trying to not break the bank with this. Um, I'd appreciate any advice on this. Thank you. Happy days. Oh, this is one of my favorite pet topics, Leah, because, you know, I've written a whole book about bridesmaids called the Maid Chiller Manual. And one of my secret sort of irks is this obsession we seem to have, you know, made in society now with gifting, over gifting, and feeling obliged to be giving gifts for every freaking milestone of our lives. And I think gifting is lovely and the sentiment is great, but there's a lot of, you know, tat out there, which people have produced. Hi, would you be my bridesmaid? Here's 17 different things with bridesmaids written on it. And then you're like, what the fuck am I going to do with this later on in life? Don't know. What do you think? Am I being too mean about this? I mean, Kristen's got a lovely question. She's got a lovely group of people that she wants to honour, but also it gets expensive. It does get expensive. And admittedly, I am totally guilty of overspending on my bridesmaids' <laughs> gifts when I got married. Um, partly because gift giving is one of my like top love languages. And for me, like I just <laughs> enjoy the process Yes, I love getting presents, let's be honest. Um, but I also love the process of giving people's people gifts and seeing their reaction and yeah. trying to be really thoughtful about coming up with great ideas. But I totally get it, Kristen. It is so easy to get carried away and to break the bank. I think what is important to remember is if you are trying to stay on a budget set, a definite amount of money. So like give yourself a firm number and hold yourself to it. So figure out how much money you're comfortable spending, how much money your budget allows you to spend, and then stick with that per person. I think um, for any listeners out there who maybe don't necessarily have a ton of money or don't want to spend a ton of money, like don't want to spend money on something, as Alicia mentioned, people are never going to use again. Um, I think a really heartfelt note is a really great substitute for giving something somebody something tangible. So writing a note just to tell them how much you meet, how much they mean to you, how happy you are to have them there on your special day, I think is going to be really meaningful to them and is going to means so much more than a tangible object. Um, if you are looking for creative ideas for bridesmaids gifts, I think, and this is something that's a trend, I think, in gifting in general, but doing something that is more experiential. So giving them, I don't know, like theater tickets or something like that, or something that would be of interest to them that they can actually, or like cooking classes, something that they can go out and enjoy, as opposed to giving them something that you know, they might keep in a keepsake box maybe, or they might just, you know, toss it after the wedding. Yeah. I'd much rather, I agree with you, much rather those sort of experiences or a note or something that's a lot more sort of thoughtful. And I don't, I don't want everyone to think I'm Scrooge here. Like I'm not saying don't spend money or don't do it. Just don't. I, I just think about the environmental consequences of some of the shit that we end up making for weddings or buying that we think, oh, we should buy something because society tells us we need to be gifting at this stage when, it's not always the case. I don't know. Do a cross stitch or something. I don't know. Make make something if you feel that way inclined. Or, you know, um, yeah. I think I think the theatre thing's a lovely idea. Take the gal pals out for a bit of a bit of social times, or stay at home and watch a video together. A video? What am I from? Nineteen ninety two. Break out creepers. the VCR. <laughs> I mean, these are the times when if you have a VCR, I will crack on and do it. <laughs> 
All right, we've got time for one more before the break. Uh, This is lovely Ingrid. Hi, Alicia. My name is Ingrid. I am from Chicago. I like to listen to you on the CTA. You're right. It does help block out the crazies. Um, And also, while I am painstakingly putting rhinestones on fabric because I am a burlesque dancer. Uh, My question for you has to do with divorced parents. I know it's a bit of a tricky subject. Um, My parents are divorced and, you know, they're not really on very good terms. And I'm a little nervous about giving either one of them a microphone at the wedding. I know it's traditional for parents to make a lot of speeches, um, but I'm just not so sure about how that's going to go. Um, I also know, you know, a lot of advice that I've read goes something along the lines of, oh, to deal with divorced parents, a good idea is to have a bridesmaid or a friend or someone who's a neutral party, you know, physically keep them away from each other. But we're thinking about having a smaller guest count, you know, probably under 50 people. So, uh, you know, I think it would be tricky to find someone who is truly a neutral party. And also, you know, because of the guest count, be able to physically keep them away from each other for that long, right? Um, Anyways, I'm rambling a little bit. um, So I'd love your thoughts. Uh, I also have an episode suggestion for you for the future. Um, Like I said, I'm a burlesque dancer, and I would really love to hear an episode where you interview people in the industry, you know, burlesque dancers, strippers, exotic dancers. Uh, I feel like we have a lot of thoughts and opinions about bachelor and bachelorette parties when they come to us. I know I have had some of my very best and very worst experiences come from those groups. Uh, so it can it can be a treat for sure. Uh, thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I I love it so much. You're wonderful and happy days. Ingrid, I love that you listen on the train in Chicago and I have a bit of a, a, a love for Chicago. My cousin Belinda up until recently lived in Chicago and we visited quite often and um, the train noises, I just think, and I think about the fugitive uh, and I think about lots of things about Chicago. I love it. So thank you for listening. Just wanted to do a little shout out there. And Ingrid, you're a burlesque dancer. That takes a lot of skill. And I, I love, I think burlesque is very clever and sexy and fun. And uh, congrats. Now, the question you asked was about divorced parents. I think a very relevant question to a lot of people listening who are working with step families, uh, parents who are recently divorced and also um, relatives as well. It doesn't just have to be parents as well. Relatives that you are still inviting both sides, air quotes, of the of the couples and trying to make that work. Leah, this is something I know you have dealt with a lot in your wedding planning life where you are sort of being a counsellor and also advising people on how to keep the peace but also make sure that both sides of the family – I don't mean sides, that's the wrong way to say it – both parties – get their time with their people, but also shit doesn't hit the fan and bring those nasty emotions that they're right to feel, but you don't want that to happen on a wedding day and keep it all simmering. What advice can you give to Ingrid when she's sort of working this out and trying to make sure she has a nice time, but the parents have a nice time, but they're nice? Yeah. 
Divorce is incredibly tricky. And one of the questions I always talk with my couples about at the very beginning, if not even on our, you know, introductory phone call is to get some information about their families and whether there's dynamics that I need to be aware of. Um, you'd be, well, maybe you wouldn't be amazed. Like people just, I mean, people will behave badly in general when it comes to weddings, whether they're divorced or not, but it does make complications Mm. in terms of who is walking who down the aisle, who is in family photos. Can people be in family photos together? And then obviously to Ingrid's point about people giving toasts and speeches And my advice here actually is applicable to in more broader situations where people are just like, oh, so and I have a person who really they're a close friend or they're a family member and they really want to give a toast or a speech, but I'm very nervous about the content of it. So there's a few ways to Mm. approach that. Um, If you have absolutely no faith um, in this person in terms of being able to speak publicly um, and in an appropriate way during the wedding, you can nix them speaking overall. Um, If you sort of feel comfortable with them speaking in a more intimate environment, maybe they are a great choice to speak at the rehearsal dinner where it's more private, where there's going to be less people there. Um, You could also ask to see their toast in advance or even better potentially have another family member read the toast so like let's say you have a sibling and you're worried about um a parent and what they might say you could ask the sibling to step in and say hey mom or dad or whoever i want to take a look at your speech just to make sure everything is cool for the wedding that's definitely a thing to do Um, Another option, which I've always put this out there, but never actually had to do it myself or seen it in action, is to give either your planner a heads up or give your DJ or band leader a heads up about your concerns and tell them that like if things start going sideways with the speech to sort of like like the Oscars to play them off the stage to put the music on and sort of give them a hint that um, the time (laughs) is up for that. So in terms of, yes, so in terms of being nervous about divorced parents speaking, those are a few ways to handle it. Um, I know you, Ingrid, also mentioned putting people in charge of an individual to make sure they stay away from either the couple or another person. I think I think in most cases, and I know every family is different, I'm sort of optimistic that in most cases, the adults would be mature enough to not need quite that much handholding. I'm fully aware that there probably are situations where adults do need that much handholding. But I would say that sort of um, assigning a bodyguard-esque type person to that role is in most cases, hopefully going to be a little too much and you can hopefully just rely on it. I think but also giving your vendors, like I said, if you have a planner, make sure your planner knows about the family dynamics because they are experts at this. They can read body language. They can see things happening from across a room and know when to like intervene. And so make sure your planner knows if you have a planner, if you don't have a planner, try to give a heads up to whoever's sort of running the day for you, whether it's like the maitre d' or event captain, um, or if you have like a DJ, just somebody who can kind of 
a professional that can keep an eye out, um, I think is a really great thing to do. But yeah, it is. It's just tricky and people will surprise you sometimes in terms of how they behave. Yeah, and let's hope that, yeah, they surprise us in a lovely way and they feel (laughs) that they can put their ill feelings aside for fucking 20 minutes and just support their kids. Good job. Uh, Thank you for answering that question so succinctly and fabulously, Leah. Uh, We are going to a very quick break, but after the break we are going to hear from lovely Steph, who's an Australian, good old Aussies, and uh, Teresa as well. There'll be more of the Bridechiller podcast with Leah after this. Look, let's just crack straight into it. And I think uh, Steph has something that a lot of people feel when it comes to starting to plan their wedding and starting to actually pay for the wedding. It is the spender's, spender's guilt and remorse. Hi, Alicia. It's Steph calling from Central Queensland. Um, I love your podcast. I only heard about it uh, about 10 days ago and I'm already 18 episodes in or more. Um, so I'm literally a bride chiller. Um, over the last couple of days, I've been gathering a lot of quotes, starting our planning journey after seven months of being engaged. And I have a question. How do I shake this feeling of spender's regret or spender's guilt? Um, I often get this feeling when, you know, you spend a lot of money on something like you know, your first car or Christmas. <laughs> um, I'm suddenly second-guessing uh, about having a wedding. Um I've always envisioned myself being a bride and now I just can't shake this feeling and my fiance is reassuring me that you know I'll have more regrets if we if we you know elope or something so how do I get past this and and go back to enjoying the planning process um yeah any any guidance would be really beneficial um and thank you so much for your podcast ta Totally normal. And yeah, I mean, most of us probably by the time we're getting married, haven't spent that much money on anything before, let alone alone an event, unless, you know, maybe people have bought a house or a very expensive car. Um, But it is, it's absolutely normal. It's just a psychological reaction to spending a lot of money. Money is probably almost everybody's hotspot and it's the source of a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. And so it's a hundred percent natural to be nervous when you're spending this much money. I've run across couples who sometimes have trouble actually making a decision and committing to a vendor because they are just kind of money blocked a bit. So my suggestion to My suggestion in terms of psychologically helping make this a little bit easier for you is to make sure you have a clear budget from the very beginning. If you have a planner, they are going to be able to help you budget accurately because they know how much things cost. If you don't have a planner and you are on a tight budget, or even if you're not on a tight budget, but you're still nervous about spending money, or if you know spending money is your hot button issue, then take the time to do some significant research about how much things cost in your area. So figure out exactly using that information, knowing how much things cost, knowing what elements you want to be part of your wedding, do the research, figure out those costs, and then determine like what your budget is, what your maximum spend is. 
and hold yourself to that because that way when something happens and you're writing a big check for catering and it's starting to give you some heart palpitations or sweaty palms, you can look back at this number and say, okay, when I wasn't in this emotional moment, here is the number that I said, decided that we could afford to spend on this. And so that mm -hmm. number matches with what check I'm about to write. So it'll kind of give you a little bit more confidence and relief to know that you took care of the budget when you weren't totally in the money situation and when you were a little more level-headed so that when you are getting a little nervous, you can look back and reassure yourself that you made an educated decision about how much you were going to spend on things. And in terms yeah. of... So that's my advice for like getting over the psychological hump of spending the money in terms of some practical ways to save. I always tell my clients that the number one way to save is to reduce your guest count. So it's sort of obvious, but at the same time, people don't necessarily understand the nuances of what your guest count dictates. So obviously, if, if more people means more food, more alcohol, but more people also means more rentals in terms of glasses, plates, napkins, tables, all that stuff. The more guests you have, the more tables you have, the more you're going to be spending on florals to decorate those tables or whatever it is that you choose to do. Um, also, the more people you have, the more staff you're going to need for catering service and for cleanup and everything like that. Mm. So just so the idea of saying reduce your guest count really means a lot when you take a look at it that way and understand that so much depends on your guest count and it really increases costs it it increases like all, almost all of the the various costs to have more yeah. or le to have more guests yep and and i do i do think that that is it's, it's you know the key to <laughs> Finance is key to stress as well to be able to then look and say, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of just making sure that the people that you have there are not obligation guests, they're people that are actually people that are going to be part of your future, not just part of your past. You know, I you, you go back and listen to all of my guest list episodes for sort of a detailed viewpoint of um, what I'm sort of saying here, but it does make such a big difference to the the budget, but also looking around and going, do you need 300 people, maybe 50 would be, you know, something that you feel more comfortable with and also being able to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with them, that makes a big difference. And maybe even 50 is too many for some people. Um, who knows, you know, in the future we're sort of looking at how we're going to run events and not to get too too into the sort of lifestyle that we're leading at this current juncture, but it, it might change the way we look at running bigger events. And that's probably a conversation and an episode for the future, but I do think we probably will be reassessing that sort of stuff and also where we're spending the money. So that interests me from that perspective as well. Absolutely. And just throwing it out there, one of my favorite guest list hacks is to ask yourself, would you be disappointed if that person got married and didn't invite you? And if the answer oh, yeah. and the answer is no, you wouldn't be disappointed, then they they are expendable on your guest list, let's say. Good. Yeah. Excellent question to ask. Excellent question. We have time for one more uh, voice message, lovely Leah, and uh, let's just hear it. 
Hey, Alicia. Um, this is Teresa in Austin, Texas. Love the podcast. Thanks for everything you do. Everything's going great so far, except I had yesterday what you would call for the first time my moment of uh, wedding triggered. And it's definitely finance, like financial related. Um, I think I'm starting to feel from our wedding donors, um, aka my mom and dad, um, that they're starting to get really nervous about how much money we are spending so far. And I totally understand. And I'm dealing with a lot of guilt surrounded by that. Um, I am an older bride. I'm 32 and this is not my first wedding. And so I'm starting to deal with those feelings of, am I good enough? Do I deserve this? Why is everyone spending all this money on me? Anyway, um, I guess my question is twofold. How do I deal with those, those problem feelings? Um, how do I feel better about the whole process without just guilting myself into a early grave? Uh, and also where are some places that we can start maybe cutting cost down? We've got big ticket items already, but as far as like maybe some of the finer details, where are some ways that we can maybe save some money in the end where we can all feel comfortable? All right. Thanks. Happy days. Well, I want to jump in first and say, Teresa, I'm sorry, I called you Teresa earlier on, um, that it is, you know, you should not be feeling guilty when firstly, you are not an older bride, by the way, 32, cracking age, I support you. And also the feelings of guilt and worrying that people are spending all this money on you. I just want us to clear that right now. I want us to use uh, Leah's amazing square breathing technique go back and listen to the last episode that we did together to just fucking get rid of those feelings because this is you know it is about you and it's hard sometimes people feel that you know the attention when they're getting married they go oh my gosh I've never had this sort of attention before and then they feel bad about it but I actually think we should celebrate it and embrace it because she doesn't Leah sound like someone that's um you know being over the top about anything I think Teresa seems very sensible And it's nice to feel good and have that attention, don't you think? Definitely. Lean into it, Teresa. Yes. (laughs) You celebrate. I mean, celebrate. This is, I always tell my couples, this is, think about your wedding as the one rare chance. Maybe it could happen again. But like one of the few chances in life when you get all of your favorite people on the planet in one room together and they are there to celebrate you and your partner. And just thinking about it that way is incredible and it helps you feel more deserving of it because everybody deserves that moment and that feeling. I definitely understand the feelings of guilt in terms of, especially in terms of donors and having people paying for the wedding and feeling guilty for spending that much money. I had one couple that I had to work through this with and what I told them was, the people that are spending this money wouldn't be doing it if they didn't love you, if they didn't want to be giving you the money, if they didn't want to help you pay for this incredible day, they frankly wouldn't have given you the money. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to look at it that way and appreciate it and just realize that it's a gift. And yeah, we've all got money issues. So of course it's going to feel weird spending other people's money. Um, I think especially if they are making comments about things from time to time, I think you're fully within your right to 
kindly ask them perhaps not to make those comments, or maybe they don't even realize that they are making them. So pointing it out and saying, hey, just so you know, when you say stuff like that, like it really makes me feel guilty about all of this. And so just communicating with them how you're feeling can hopefully change their behavior and make them a little bit more aware about some of the side comments that they might be making. And then to answer the second part of your question in terms of places to save costs now that you've got all of the major things booked, I would say it kind of comes down to some of the extras, some of the detail things. So if you want to save money, then favors and take-home items at the end of the night aren't must-haves. Things like cocktail signs or programs for the ceremony also not a must-have. There are definite ways to kind of take a look at some of those smaller elements that you had planned to maybe spend money on. You know, maybe it's where you decide not to add extra lighting, or maybe you don't do a photo booth. Those kind of things, just being conscious of the, the money that you're spending and also just going back to figuring out, looking at what your original budget was. So my advice for the for the last caller was to make sure that you've set that budget and then refer back to that to give you peace of mind and knowing that the money that you're spending is okay. So if you have set a budget and the money that is being spent is falling within that, then that should signal to you that it's okay. If you have gone over, then that was a conscious choice by everybody involved to spend that extra money. And so maybe there's not money in the budget left for these smaller extras. So take them off the table. But that is definitely an, a way to save a little bit of money is to kind of look at some of these details and some of the extras and nice to haves rather than must haves that can come off your list. Yeah, excellent advice, Leah. And I do agree, just going back a little bit to the wedding donors thing that I think, you know, I'm I'm always saying that if you can sit down, especially, I mean, obviously Teresa is a bit further down the the planning path than some people might be at this stage, but to be able to then sit down with your parents or whoever is contributing money and just say, what are your expectations for this cash? Like what, what do you hope we spend the money on or do you want us to keep you up to date with where we're at, like how involved do you want to be? Maybe if you can get, grant them a little bit of, not power, but to say, you know, do you want us to update every time we, you know, pay a bill or are the bills going straight to you or are you just giving us the cash? If you can sit down and be uh, clear about how money is being spent and what it's being spent on, it might also prevent some of these little comments Um but also in, in the same breath, I always say, be careful with how much information you hand over because like, do you want your mum and dad or your partner's parents to be there watching and monitoring everything? Perhaps not. So it's a matter of setting boundaries and being able to be open and clear and honest, but also saying if you are paying for catering, then come along and, and be a part of that or I'll, I'll keep you up to date with that. But if, you know, you don't want them sort of sniffing around and being involved in everything, then I suppose it's a matter of setting those boundaries up earlier on. Not always possible, but um, if you have the conversations, it can sometimes empower you to be able to, you know, see that through until the wedding day and maybe take the heat off a little bit. That's just my little bit. I know every parent are different and uh, some parents just want to hand the money over and let you plan and others just want to be in your business all the time. So just be aware. And, and try and, you know, manage that a little bit as you go. It can help. 
And then there are those that say they don't want to be involved in exchange for contributing oh, to the yeah. wedding, and then secretly they want to micromanage. So, yes, I want I, to be in a part of everything. I know. Yeah, communication is like my solution to almost anything. So I fully endorse what you said about just having conversations and making sure everybody knows it. Ex- setting expectations, setting rules, setting boundaries is incredibly important. Yeah. And I know we don't feel comfortable as a society really about talking about money and I get it. It's not, it's not air quotes normal, but also it's normal and it's going to solve a lot of problems. If you can be upfront, have the orcs conversations at the beginning and just get it done. And then you're like, great, we know what you want. We know what we want. Let's go make it happen. And if they want to check in with you, you could say, hey, let's check in every couple of months and we'll give you an update or we'll do a little family family meeting or here's a spreadsheet I can share with you. There's so many different ways to manage this without it coming to the position that Teresa's is in where parents are making little comments that are obviously can be hurtful or making her feel bad, which is not what we want at all. I'm sure they don't want you to feel bad, but maybe they don't know how to communicate it in another way. So we wish you all the best. And, um, you know, please don't feel bad about being, having the attention as well. It's nice. Revel in it. It's, it feels good. Absorb the warmth. Absorb it. Um, lovely Leah. Gee, it's nice having a little co-host from afar. Really enjoy this. Yes. Always love chatting with you, of course. <laughs> and it's just nice to talk about something, you know, sort of normal. And I know it's not ideal at the moment, but hopefully when people are listening back to this episode, we have regained some sense of normality in some way. And we're going back to, is normality a word? Is that right? I think so. I think that's a word. I just questioned my own normality. Yeah. I came out of my mouth and I'm like, is that normal? Normalcy? (laughs) Maybe normalcy. Normalcy? Oh, God. See, this is one of those situations where you start saying a word or looking at how it's spelled over and over, and then it just starts to not even feel like a word anymore. Yeah. I mean, now I'm questioning. Well, let's just go. If I just if I just moved on quickly, but now I've drawn attention to it. So we can all go to Google while I'm talking and go, did Alicia make up a word? We can return to some sense of normalcy. Uh, it's just nice to be able to plan ahead. And if you are at home and you're listening to this when this is going out, you know, obviously events aren't happening at the moment, but they will return. I feel confident that we will somehow return and things will carry on. Maybe they won't be exactly like they were before, but also hopefully they will be for everyone's sake. Um, Leah, in New York, I'm in Australia bloody love podcasting. It's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your guidance. Now, people, please go and uh, check out Leah's website, check out Instagram. Where can we get in touch with you and um, just look at all your lovely things? Yeah. So on social media, I am at ColourPop Events on all the different platforms. My website is ColourPopEvents.com. And then also just throwing it out there, I love fielding questions from Bridechilla listeners. So if anybody has any kind of yes. follow-up questions that you just want to run by me, my email address is Leah at ColourPopEvents.com. There's also a link to hello at ColourPopEvents.com on my website. So I would love to hear from you. Happy to help in any way I can. Oh, you're a gem. And it's lovely to hear that people have reached out after the last episode. And that's really great to um, see that the community is is, you know, keen to participate and also use your wonderful resources and skills. So well done, Bridechilla listeners who have gotten in touch with Leah. And uh, if you have a question that you would like uh, either myself or Leah 
or another fantastic person that will be on this podcast to answer, all you need to do is visit thebridechiller.com and check it out. Also, I would like to say that we have resources available on the blog, the Bride Chiller blog, also thebridechiller.com. Lots of info from past episodes. The Bride Chiller guides are still being delivered and are available. If you're a Kindle reader, you can get the Bride Chiller Survival Guide and also the audiobook, Leah. I spent a lot of hours talking to myself in a booth. So, if you've got time in your hands and you don't want to read but you want to listen to me, you can also go to Audible and download the Bridechiller Survival Guide for a very reasonable price. Until next week, my lovely friends, I bid you all and you, Leah, happy days. The Bridechiller Podcast, empowering you to kick wedding planning ass every day. 